You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Cooper. I help connect business with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together some of the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Cooper, and I connect businesses with talent in the mobile and Java space. Today, I'm joined by Sheik Shagger from Sonda, Chris Jerichem from Flit, Sophie Troy from Vamp, and Arash Heydouri from Felix Mobile to discuss effective leadership and how to be an effective leader. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room and introduce ourselves. Chris, I'll start off with you. Hi, my name's Chris Jerichem. Um, so I'm a head of engineering for an insurance startup called Flip Insurance. Um, basically, Flip Insurance is a new way of covering people who want to be fit and um, active and basically want something to protect them for sports injuries or accidents. Um, we're backed by HCF and we've been in the industry for about, sorry, in the market for about two years now. Um, and to be honest, I've come from a design background into engineering, so it's definitely a bit different. Um, and I've worked in like everything from advertising agencies, working on fairly major brands such as Tourism Australia, all the way through to <laughs> living in a UX consultancy for a couple of years and kind of experiencing UXs and kind of their world. Um, and then moving into more um, consultancy. So working in venturing, you know, BCG Digital Ventures, incredible business where you build corporate ventures from the ground up um, and then moved into insurance. That's me. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for that, Chris. Um, Sophie. Hello. Uh, Yes, I'm Sophie Troy and I'm the head of engineering at VAMP. So VAMP has built a content creation and influencer marketing platform. And we basically connect brands and influencers to create awesome content and to run social media campaigns. Uh, I came to VAMP sort of as a software engineer and then moved up to team lead and have been the head of engineering there for about three years now. Uh, before that, I was at quite an established, you know, professional client services technology firm. So it was an interesting transition into the land of startup, um, but it being really uh, worthwhile and, you know, lots of opportunities. I suppose what I'm passionate about is really um, quality of the product and building that into our development process, as well as like empowering my team to be able to focus on the things that they want to do and what drives value for the business and, you know, getting rid of all the distractions around that. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for that. Sophie, Arash? Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Arash. I am the head of technology at Felix Mobile. So Felix is just a, a startup within that enterprise organization, which is the TPG Telecom. So I've been working in the te- uh, telecom industry for almost you know, three and a half years. I uh, started as a senior software engineer back in 2019, and then I moved up into different roles in different teams within the Vodafone shop team. And then recently I moved to Felix as a head of technology. But, uh, prior to this, I was working uh, with some you know, insurtech startups, uh, and uh, e-learning uh, businesses and uh, retail as a software engineer. Uh, right now, you know, my personal interest is is the end-to-end architecture of an enterprise business from 
very, you know, uh, first interaction of the customer with the CRM layer up to the point of, you know, talking to the BSS systems and, you know, provisioning platform type of stuff. Yeah, that's pretty much me, short and sweet. All right, thanks for that. And lastly, Sheikh. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Sheikh Shagar. I'm, I'm the engineering lead at Sonder. So Sonder is an uh, employee care technology company that provides organizations with it, a single point of entry solution uh, uh, in the domain of safety, medical, and mental health support. So uh, we have a support team who's working 24-7 uh, on the clock to support our members in real time by the mobile applications that we have uh, built, which we call member application. Uh, I've been with Sonder for past four years. I'm um, currently leading the team of the mobile engineers based in Sydney and also in Vietnam. Uh, uh, about myself, I came from a software engineering background. I started my journey as a software engineer around a decade ago, uh, then went into the leading the tech team and this uh, engineering management role. Uh, that's pretty much it for my side. Awesome. So thank you so much for everyone uh, introducing yourselves. Now that we've established a little bit of context around each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or a statement on effective leadership. Uh, as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Let's start uh, with Arash and your question. So, you know, my question is literally what I am dealing with at this point of time because as you might know, the telecom industry, when you are you know, opening up the hood, what is happening behind the scene when one customer is interacting with, let's say, our mobile application, there are series of data hop and uh, requests that coming from that interaction up to different layers of, uh, you know, architecture in telecom, in, in telecom industry. So what I'm dealing with right now, because there are lots of platforms in place, so I, my concern these days is the ownership of each individual functionality or platform. And because we don't want to, you know, overwhelm the engineers with lots of different, you know, moving pieces when it comes to new features or project, this platform ownership or ownership of one individual uh, component or platform or functionality is something that really matters and it helps us to engage each individual engineer on one specific area of focus and at the same time when it comes to an end-to-end -end integration of one specific feature we know who is looking after what and what is the responsibility sometimes it's tricky to to keep the focus of one engineer on one platform because there are, you know, different uh, personality of platforms in place that we need to, you know, establish some some sort of first interest to that platform. Then the ownership and the future engagement with the wider team when it comes to uh, yeah, this individual, you know, type of ownership. So my question is how we actually delegating the ownership can, uh, you know, help the effectiveness of the leadership, which pretty much would be any one of us, so that in the future implementation of new features and products, uh, we have a better engagement, better uh, communication, and better 
and eff effective delivery of that specific feature. Yeah. Um, I will start with you, Sophie. What's your take on um, how delegating ownership can help effectiveness of leadership in terms of team relationships and engagement? I think with, um, you know, delegation and um, uh, leadership, um, it's about showing trust in the team, but also you've been really clear when you're delegating what the what your what the ownership is, you know, what are they responsible for, what um, decisions are they empowered to make, um, but also, you know, putting it in a framework of, um, you know, professional development and their learning as well, because I think fundamentally, certainly all the engineers I know are really keen to further grow and develop their skill set, and this is a great opportunity for that. Um, I think from the other side of it, you know, as a leader who, who's delegating, the important thing, and this I've certainly learned this along the way, is you know um, passing ownership and letting go of that responsibility, but having enough visibility to know that everything's on track, without having to sort of micromanage and constantly checking in. Um, so you know, in a really practical way, um, I've really discovered and loved the use of dashboards and things like that, um, and also having like clear agendas for like check-ins in terms of like you know these are things I want to hear from you when we talk about these. Um, and get, you know, the status of everything. But there's some of the things I've learned along the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I definitely love like the whole dashboards to have that visibility, but not needing to be on or over someone's shoulder every second of the day. Um, what about yourself, Chris? Um, I think it's very close. I think um, that trust, as you mentioned, Sophie, I think it's really important to be able to trust and kind of have that distance to kind of feel like they've got that ownership. Also, I guess, what's the ownership on? Um, is it more like just look after this or do they have power to make decisions? Because I think a lot of engineers want autonomy. They want that ownership and control or it's like you give me something, but it feels like I've got no real control. Other things come to mind is also having one person focus on that. Does that become a single point of failure? Because I feel like on the other end, you give ownership but then they won't look at anything else or it's like this person's done it i don't know how to look at that so i think that you've got to be cautious to have that fine line of maybe someone has ownership and kind of leads it but you still get that um feed that kind of other people using it as well and kind of it's transferring that knowledge um because that's my biggest fear is saying you own it but then no one else can look at it um that kind of things come to my mind basically for that. Yeah, no, that's really um, an interesting point, sort of making sure that people don't sort of run away with the whole, oh, I own it, and but now you can't look at it. And yeah, no, it's, what about yourself, Sheikh? Uh, how have you sort of dealt with this? I think I, I come to agree with Sophie and I also understand the point uh, from Chris there. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, I do agree. Like, uh, it can be a bit of challenging sometimes, but uh, it's uh, for the way it worked for me. Like when I'm delegating something, and I and just like so, like I always try to delegate the ownership uh, of. Uh, it, it can be an individual task. It can be an uh, entire initiative, but I try to define an owner for that one. And uh, it's understandable. Like when uh, when it's, it's individual task or or an entire initiatives, they it's a teamwork. They might. Uh, they're going to need uh, help from across the team. 
So instead of giving them instructions, I try to give them a bit of guidance there, how you communicate with other people, whom you should be reaching out to, whom you should be uh, talking to to resolve something or get some uh, updates on. So instead of giving instruction, we uh, try to give them guidance on uh, on that front, and I try to and uh, I try to set a, set a goal. So when when I when we uh, like when uh, in my team, like I give them give the ownership, and uh, that comes with the guidance, and also that comes with the, with, a, uh, with a goal. So they have a clear vision like where uh, uh, where the goal sets, and uh, we do a, uh, uh, we do set some checkpoints, not as constant uh, uh, constantly checking. But uh, pretty much those set points is just uh, uh, aligned with the goals, and then we just check back on that one. Uh, that's how it worked out for me uh, 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 over the time. But um, as I said, like I completely uh, uh, understand Chris's point. Like there is there is a, a bit of challenge where, where we uh, always need to be a bit conscious about or a bit aware about. Yeah, for sure. No, um, thanks everyone. It. I'll uh, move on to Sophie's question next. Did you want to introduce your question, Sophie? And, yep. Yeah, so um, my question, again, similar to Rash, is, you know, a you know, problem I'm facing, you know, right now today. And it's I find that now people are much more working remotely and sometimes fully remote. Um, how do we, you know, develop relationships, um, particularly with new starters, when we're not getting that face-to-face -face time from perhaps more traditional um, socialising, but even just having meetings in the same room where you get to really perhaps have to have some casual chat in between. And it's about developing that rapport, but online. And I suppose the second part of that is you're not hearing the sort of water cooler gossip and things like that. How do you juggle team engagement and, you know, gather feedback in a more informal sense to better drive your leadership? and your decision-making. I think, um, you know, some of the things that I've been trying to do is um, have one-to-ones with not just my direct reports but other people on the team. That gets challenging as the team grows. It's not really a sustainable solution going forward. Um, I think what's worked well, particularly with new starters, is uh, one of the things I really took ownership of um, at BAMP is the new starter guide, particularly for engineering, where... A, lot, a few part of that involves, you know, one-to-ones with various different people on the team to talk them through different aspects of our product or our architecture. And that's just an opportunity for them right from the beginning to have one-on-one -on -one time, even if it's remotely, to get to know people on the team. Um, so I think that's one thing we've done successfully, but then it's like maintaining that as well um, and building that kind of more of a rapport for people who have started remote and continue to be remote. So interested in everyone's opinions. Yeah, so am I. I uh, will start with you, Chris. Um, how have you sort of uh, tackled this issue? You don't give me much time to think, do you? <laughs> 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 I'll be nice next time. <laughs> I'll pass the torch to someone. <laughs> um, look, it's interesting because we're an insure tech where basically the whole business started remote, right? So we've been remote mm -hmm. day one. Um, well, hybrid, if you call it, because we do go in the office once a month. So I think that's an interesting piece where that once a month is literally a write-off, right? It's pretty much everyone getting in, it's town hall, it's really everyone just re-engaging, having lunch. Um, and you find that there's a lot of discussions and excitement that happens in that period. So I think that's kind of something where 
I'm a lover of remote work because most of my career has been on that two-hour trip in and two-hour trip back to home. So I kind of do love remote work, but I think that's been quite useful as kind of a way of engaging. Um, one-on-ones, I absolutely take it serious. It's the most important thing for me because it's that opportunity to really engage with the individual. So turn off the Slack, turn off everything else and kind of give them eye contact and actually engage with them. Um, and that includes not talking about work, actually just kind of get to know them. Um, because I found that when, especially maybe more bigger corporates, if someone at even a high level is actually really engaging with you and actually, you know, not just a high level of, you know, normally discussion like the chit chat, um, it, it has a lot of value for them because I can see that you've taken care of them. We do retros still, you know, but it's virtual, but it's also kind of an opportunity to kind of do shout outs. And funny enough, a thing that we do in the mornings, every second morning, because we're trying to manage our meetings, is we have our stand-ups, but we ask one random question in there, and it could be like, what's your favorite beach? What's your favorite breakfast? Um, where do you want to travel? Like, it could be quite random. And it's just a way to kind of, it's, it's like there's things that impact people, which we talk about, but fundamentally, that's really just a way to drive the connection um, with the wider group. And every, like our team's 10, 11 people. We have each person do one-on-one with others. So it's not just engineering, it's engineering with growth, engineering with the, the CDO or whoever it needs to be. So they feel like they're a bit more part of the business. So they're kind of the key things um, we're doing at the moment. Yeah, no. Um... I think the every second day stand up is something that's really important because then it every day is a bit brutal. But when you give people <laughs> that day to sort of, okay, yep, I've got meetings this morning with the rest of the team, good time to catch up. The next day, okay, I can do my own stuff and then cycle back. It's you're around enough to chat, but you've also give them enough space to get on with their projects and what they're working on, right? So I think that's a really cool thing you guys um, are doing. What about yourself, uh, Sheikh? Um, yeah, so uh, when I started with Sonar, yeah, that time uh, uh, there was no remote work. Yeah, there was uh, time to time we used to do work from home, but uh, that was like maybe once a week or once a month. So yeah, I'm talking about pre-pandemic time. So yeah, uh, I went through this transition period and uh, I think yeah, I totally understand the challenges. So once we became fully remote, COVID time was a bit of uh, uh, a bit of a unexpected time for everyone, and we just faced COVID. Everyone uh, went into remote. Everyone is uh, 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 frustrated with uncertainty, and then everything settled down. And then the remote working or the hybrid working arrangement uh, stayed on. And yeah, uh, the growing challenge was there, of course, that uh, how do we build the connection? So all the uh, all the people that we have from uh, uh, from the pre-COVID time. So we had this had this bonding, and we we can feel that we, we are uh, we have this uh, a good friendship. We have this uh, a, a bonding uh, uh, with, uh, with different departments uh, across the, across the business. But uh, and it, it took us a bit of time at the very beginning because it was a bit of transition phase that we were going through. It took us a bit of time, couple of months. Then we realized that okay, the the people who has joined uh, uh, recently. Uh, and who is fully remote, and because of the lockdown and everything, there was not even a hybrid arrangement. Like it was fully remote. So, and then we we figured that there is there's a bit of gap we can sense, and to overcome that, I think uh, it came uh, came to us naturally. 
So what happened, because we had this bonding before a, a, a pre-pending type uh, with, the, with uh, the entire team, we used to chit chat a lot. When, whenever there was any call, stand up or something, we used to do the uh, uh, do a, uh, let's say it's a fifteen minutes or a thirty minutes stand up. Maybe the first five six minutes we were just chit chatting, and that kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, when uh, uh, yeah, we, we we carried on, and uh, later on uh, we started making part of the uh, uh, part of those things uh, uh, as part of the process as well. So for example, right now when we have a retro, there's a dedicated session where. Uh, people do some interesting thing, maybe uh, maybe talking about your hometown, maybe talking about some interesting topics, your hobby. Uh, we had uh, uh, one of our former team member. He uh, his background. He, he used to be a musician. So one day, like pretty much, we put him on the spot because we knew uh, knew he has his musical instrument with him. So we asked him, let's let's play. We uh, let's hear something. So by doing that, I think that actually helped over the time to build that connection. Uh, now we are hybrid. Uh, we have hybrid arrangement. So at least once a month or once every fortnight, people uh, people are meeting with each other. What uh, helps them connect with uh, with the business? And then we have also initiated so many uh, meetings and catch ups across the business, where uh, different uh, uh, from different teams, people uh, people gathers around. Yeah. Awesome. And what about yourself, Arash? How have you tackled this? Yeah. So it's a very interesting topic because uh, because of the complexity of you know telecommunication you know activities. So literally, uh, myself, I'm you know advocating the SMEs or SDOs, you know, soft, uh, subject matter experts or system technical owners. So whenever I have a new startup, I will give that individual one or two weeks of settlement because the access should be there, all the, you know, the, the issued laptop, everything that needs for that individual to start working on something takes time for us to be there because there are so many paperwork that has to be done in order for one individual to gain access to all the you know platforms and all the things that that person wanted to do. And to me, the first 90 days is something that really matters. So I will, after one or two weeks of settlement, I'll give that person some sort of, uh, you know, the ownership of whatever that that person has to do you know, the list, a list of platforms that that person has to interact with. If it's a, if it's on the CRM layer, the story is different. If it's on the BSS layer, the story is different. On the you know provisioning, still some other stuff that needs to happen. And by providing this ownership and the list of people who are the SDU or the subject matter expert or SME for that particular subject. I will give them the clue and opening up my calendar as a high priority for that new starter to book me anytime during the day you want to ask questions. So during that period of time, I would probably give or take 90 days, that person will start building up the relationship with whoever he has to reach out. If it's um, from different uh, you know, departments, if it's from pricing team, if it's from any other team. So once they know who is who, and you give them the opportunity to ask questions during the day, whenever they want, they start feeling relaxed. They start feeling that, okay, this is something that I can tackle with. And then they start 
getting up to speed with different activities that they have to do. So literally, I'm not that kind of leader that want that person to do something at the first day. I would give them, you know, some time to settle. And since we are, as Sophie said, we are all working remote at this point. Even for us, pre-pandemic, it was like five days a week in office. And there is no issue with the VPN. We, we were just, in, you know, inside the building. We, we can gain access to whatever that we want. But right now, you have to do certain activities to gain access to one specific platform, which is, you know, hopping through the VPN, doing SSO, you know, all sort of things. It's a bit of adjustment for the newcomers to settle in. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit slower because it's we are all remote, but it is still efficient, to be honest with you. Yeah, for sure. I, I like the fact that you open up your diary so that if they do have an issue or something sort of comes up, they know like when and how to approach you. They don't have to sort of feel yeah. like, oh, maybe I'll interrupt him. And so that, that, that's a really nice thing. I don't hear a lot of people doing that for their new starters. So that's really cool. Sorry, um, Cooper. I was just going to add as well, um, just yeah. as you were talking, a couple of things for us as well is that if you've got Slack, if the communication happens like there's more than just maybe three or four messages, we say go for a huddle, go for a conversation. Um, I think one important thing for us is, especially for new starters, a lot more verbal conversation versus messages because I found, especially with the remote, you might have had a meeting where things may not have been as friendly. I don't know, you know, things happen, but people have bad days. But then that carries with you. So I think it's really important to try and have more verbal discussions because Text in, request, text in the Slack messages, depending on your mood, can be read in many different ways. So I highly yeah, recommend Exactly. <laughs> text doesn't have any emotions on it, right? So well, you can't many- translate it in a different ways. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's very true. Sorry, people. No, yeah. no, that's really good. Sorry, Sophie. I was just saying, I think it also looped back to what Chick was saying around that, like, for people who were together in the office beforehand, you already have a relationship. And mm. so you already have that rapport. And so you move it online and it just transfers over. But it does mm. come into play when, like you say, maybe, you know, you're on Slack and it's unclear what they mean. You know, if you know someone well, you're like, oh, you know, they're having a joke or whatever. But if it's someone you've yeah. never met, you, it's easier to misinterpret things. So I think there is a real difference between people who have they worked together face-to-face before and people who are actually onboarding while we've all been remote and how do we make that experience just as good? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess until you start knowing people, you don't know people's styles of humour. And if you've got a dry sense of humour, that can come off pretty pretty aggressive sometimes in text. So, yeah, definitely learning those things. Um, we'll move on to Chris. Um, what is your question? This way I can't bombard you straight away. I was gonna say, that's cheating, right? Because I can't answer my own question, can I? <laughs> right. um, this is an interesting one because we're a startup and even for a small startup of 10 people, we've got four engineers, that's including myself. We've got a growth team, we've got an insurance innovation team, we've got product. Um, so we've got, they're kind of like little cohorts, which is great. We gel quite well together. But what I find is that um, engineering is still a bit of a black box, right? You know, and of course, we don't want them to kind of look into the wires and get into the detail. But fundamentally for me and, you know, for our, my engineering lead, we, we see it's very important that the business understands 
the system or the product, right? Because that empowers them to make better decisions or, you know, opens up new opportunities because we're still very much trying to find product market fit, you know? So instead of just going, well, from what I've heard, we can do this. It's more like from what I understand, we could do this. So long story short for us is more about how do we get, like how do we bring those engineering conversations um, to help get the team more empowered to understand what the opportunities or capabilities are of the system, if that's helpful. Um, a good thing I've heard was, it's like we're designing the product, not the experience, like the user flow. So it's more about understanding how to design that product. So then it empowers them to go, okay, how's that experience could work? Does that make sense? Um, so that's the challenge. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I'll jump to Sophie first and what's, what's sort of your take on this? Yeah, I think it's a tricky one. And I, I totally relate, particularly at a small startup, um, you know, we've had the same event, is that like in traditional bigger organizations, you probably have um, a business analyst or a project, a product designer or those sorts of roles that really own that understanding the business need and how that translate the product. And at a startup, you might not have that. And so the engineers have to get involved maybe in a more deeper way with other parts of the business. And I think this is fundamentally challenging because if you're an engineer, that is probably not the skill set you learned at university or even in your previous work experience. So maybe even the first step is not about how do they communicate or interact with the business, but exactly do they have the tools they need, the language they need? Maybe there's some training, but also it can be an element of confidence. Um, am I allowed to speak to other parts of the business? Because, you know, certainly if you've come from a huge corporate, maybe you it wasn't appropriate. It, there were rules around that, you know, things like that. So I think it's um, setting expectations with the team. So it's really clear. Um, and then in terms of like sort of understanding the business, I know uh, one thing that was implemented at that was, um, you know, actually using the software. So having the engineers kind of buddy up with one of the customer service people and run a campaign on platform for a real client. Um, so they had like real life experience of the benefits and the pain points. And so out of that generated ideas and stuff like that. Um, but obviously it just, again, just creating that means of communication and, um, but also with the business setting boundaries as well, because you don't want them sucking the engineers any time of the day and disrupting flow. Um, so it's, um, on both sides, I think, setting expectations. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, what about yourself, Arash? So here, yeah, the comment of Sophie about the large enterprises that is exactly true because we have a team of BA, we have product owners, we have, you know, a team of UX designers who are jumping in when it comes to, you know, bringing up the requirement of one specific activity. But at the same time, uh, myself, I'm trying to be a role model when it comes to collaborating and providing and contributing to those conversations. Because, you know, uh, as a leader, you need to set an example about how you can actually interact with when it comes to the wider teams. Because a good engineer is an engineer who knows the business rules behind the code that he's writing, right? First, they need to understand, just like the, any other, you know, for the UX designers, for POs, for BAs, they first need to understand the business logic, what business wants, uh, 
what is a requirement? How can I translate all those requirements in a way that makes sense for me and for my team? So I'm trying to always, uh, you know, engage with those teams and at the same time have my team uh, in those discovery sessions or, you know, what does it say? The initiation sessions so that they can actually see how we can actually interact with others in order to save our work in the future. Because if you don't understand it, if you don't have enough information about the feature that you're developing some sometime down the line, for example, QA will pick up some, you know, edge cases that you, you never thought about it before. And it's going to be a cost uh, on your activities because that edge case wasn't being built and wasn't being considered when it when it came to the initial uh, capture of the requirements. So I think it is something that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a team effort. It's a team uh, kind of behavior that we can, whoever knows about it should be the champion of that practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and what about yourself, Sheikh? How have you tackled this in the in the past? Uh, <clears throat> so uh, when I started with Sonder, uh, uh, that time the team was very small. The the entire tech, uh, tech team was uh, 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 was quite small. I uh, believe the uh, the whole back end team, front end team, uh, the full uh, the full product and engineering team uh, used to work uh, uh, in, uh, as a one uh, uh, one squad. And we were focused on the entire platform on that time. So that time we, we did face a lot of challenges like this, where uh, though we had a uh, had designer, a dedicated designer, but there was uh, three to four different platforms to look at for one designer. So often we needed engineers to come up with solutions or engineer to do something. Uh, 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 let's say uh, we uh, we have designed a feature on the uh, iOS, and there is not enough resources uh, on the uh, to invest on the Android, but uh, Android and iOS, even though both of them are uh, mobile, but it, it has a different design conventions when it comes to uh, uh, dealing parts. So sometimes we, we have ended up copying either iOS pattern or Android patterns and things. So that time it was, yeah, uh, there was a lot of learning scope, a lot of improvement areas, and uh, there, uh, it, was there, it has a lot of challenges as well to, to proceed with the product. But later on when the team evolved, uh, uh, to this date, now there is many squads that's working in Sonder. The tech, uh, product and tech team is very, very big. Uh, but still, when we have these this squads defined, now we don't uh, we don't <clears throat> we don't ask the uh, ask the engineers to design the product, but we ask the engineers to be in the design discussion when we are designing a feature, design uh, uh, doing any discovery work. So we engage engineers at, at a very early stage when uh, when it's in a design and discovery phase. So when the product product road uh, uh, when we uh, right after the product uh, roadmap has been set, and then uh, when the product design has started. So by engaging engineer at that early phase, now we uh, in many uh, many instances we found found out there is very big concern what needs to be considered for this road, particular road, uh, product roadmap or for this particular feature. And then we had to pivot, and which actually uh, uh, greatly benefited our product because uh, we avoided some of the some of the, uh, the challenges that what we might have uh, encountered uh, in future. 
And then again, like when, when engineers is coming uh, uh, is getting involved at a very early stage, they can also make some recommendation what can make maybe the process even faster. So uh, and it's not just the engineer, it also like there is designer, there is uh, 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 people from other uh, other parts of the team. So when, when we go through this design and discovery phase, we, we engage everyone uh, to get their ideas. But there's a very, very big difference uh, what, uh, what was happening like four years back versus now. So four years back, that is something where we have uh, taken the learning from and uh, uh, we face those challenges. But now when uh, now still we are engaging people, but uh, to a place like where they can add value. Yeah, for sure. I, and it's really smart, like engaging the, knowing when to engage the right people at the right times to influence before say you spend all this time developing this feature and then it goes back and say, like, actually, this is a really big pain point. Like, and you've then got to circle back, right? No engineer wants to have to go, oh, I've just finished that and <laughs> start again. <laughs> so no, that, that's a really um, good point that uh, Saunders sort of like really moved with as they've grown their team. Um, by last but no means least, uh, Sheik, do you want to introduce your question as well? Cool. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah. so my question was uh, about uh, as a leader, how to really motivate, uh, uh, motivate others in the team uh, with their personal and professional development and also uh, uh, make sure that that is aligned with the business goal. Uh, uh, the question actually came from, uh, from the part because uh, well, uh, when we look around, we can see that technology is, uh, is emerging very fast, at a very fast rate. And being, uh, being a mobile engineer and also leading the mobile engineering team, uh, what we can see, like, if you look around, you'll see that Android, iOS, every year they're, they're launching new phones uh, out there. Uh, but if you look closely, still some of the tech, uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the things is still quite old, like, like the battery technologies and other things. Uh, they haven't made a very significant improvement over there. But uh, how are they overcoming those uh, those uh, scenarios or issues? You'll see lots of uh, operating system and um, a numerous version of the operating system is getting uh, uh, getting released uh, every now and then. And every year you see these new phones that's coming up, right? That means under the hood, what's happening is the whole uh, whole development process and things, they are changing even at a faster rate. So what, uh, uh, what tech stack we used to use in Android two years back and uh, what we use today, there's a very big gap. So some of the challenges uh, uh, we face that uh, when we are too much focused into just the product, uh, uh, just a product and just delivering constantly, uh, there can be two outcome fits. So one is engineer might feel that they are falling behind uh, from the industry standard and actually engineer will fall behind the standard, uh, uh, industry standard if they are holding on to two years old tech stack. So this can create a bit of a frustration and, uh, and also, uh, and this is also a, a bit of an, uh, pain point for the business as well. So in two years time, maybe the product will not be supportive. Maybe you'll have to uh, go through a very big refactoring to, to support the product. If you're not constantly engaging uh, uh, engaging yourself uh, in terms of uh, uh, updating your tech stack or the development pattern. So the thing is, uh, if uh, if we are not letting the engineer grow, it, it may result in into a, a two uh, situation that they may, may, may lose motivation down the line, 
or uh, business can also be in, a, um, in this critical situation. So how do we manage this expectation from the business and how do we manage their professional and personal development goal? And also like in general, every, every individual person has their own goal to achieve. So, and that can differ from, from, from person to person. Uh, so now whether that is aligned with the business goal or how can we make that, make that align or how can we get their um, vision and ideas uh, and communicate with the business that uh, this can help. If we do that, it can also create a win-win situation for both the business and the person themselves. So basically the question actually came, uh, came from that, uh, that area, like how do we keep the, keep the uh, engineers and the, uh, and, uh, and the team members uh, motivated as well as uh, ensure um, that it is uh, helping the business goal as well. Yeah, that, that's a big one. Um, Arash, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, so, you know, for me, the, the technology roadmap consists of several pillars, right? I have different buckets that I can choose project from, right? And um, right now we are trying to introduce a new way of making a priority call on different you know, projects. For example, I have some, a bucket of projects from customer care. I have a bucket from product. I have a bucket from marketing. And there is one for technology as well. So we are not only looking into uh, the other department's bucket list. So on technology uh, bucket, we have a long running project. So that means uh, my engineering team, uh, while they are working on the high priority project from marketing, so if there is a if there is a chance or if there is a breathing point, we will bring in some of the features from the technology bucket. I, if I want to give you an example, for example, uh, right now our website is using Gatsby JS, which is quite an old framework which has been introduced as an MVP back then. Uh, but we are looking into bringing Next.js into picture by, by using, you know, the, the functionalities and features like SSR and SSG, which is pretty much helping uh, running faster, accommodating more loads and, you know, having, uh, you know, some uh, better functionalities out from, uh, for example, uh, AWS Lambda or stuff like that. So while we are working on on those projects, I'm, uh, I'm defining some you know, parallel project for my tech team to look into it and also keeping them motivated with the latest, greatest technology because next year is just booming right now. It's very hot topic in the market. Uh, and our engineers are, you know, really wanted to work on something that can actually, first of all, uh, guarantee that in two years time, in three years time, when they are spending time with us, when they want to go back to the market, it's a fact, they still have something under their, you know, in, in their hand that it is presentable in the market. It is adding value for the, you know, career in the future. So by having that parallel project, uh, I'm trying to keep them motivated, having some, you know, uh, technical guild in place so that they can actually showcase the project, uh, the, the effort that they have done apart from the project that they're working on for, you know, the business bucket, which is the marketing and stuff that I was talking about. So they, I try to keep them motivated. I try to keep them, to give them something that is not only related to the 
uh, you know, product itself, but it's 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 hardcore engineering practices. So this is what I'm trying to do to keep them motivated. Yeah, no, and honestly, um, it's so important to consistently have something to be working on to grow. And I found that um, when I speak to a lot of engineers, they want to be working on the latest stuff. So a business that is going to support and encourage um, that growth and learning, it usually ends up as a win-win from uh, some of my experience. What about yourself, Sophie? How, how have you tackled this issue or how are you tackling it at the moment? Yeah, I think um, professional development and, you know, kind of specifically here, like when it comes to aligning it with business goals and then also aligning it with the individual's interests, um, you know, what we've done and you know, is kind of two sides is one is you have that kind of a bit more structures. Like we have a fortnightly guild meeting where it's a knowledge sharing meeting and I encourage everyone to present and it might be that they've just maybe integrated a new third party tool and they're sharing that with the rest of the team and teaching everyone how, how we use that. But I also encourage people, like, if they want to, to talk about their side project, which might be totally unrelated to the technology at BAP, but it's still, you know, really interesting to hear. And, again, kind of actually tied back to actually more social aspect of, you know, being a team. But I think, you know, that structured learning is only part of it because, actually, you know, it's an hour, a fortnight, whereas, like, you really want to, um, if you want someone to learn and, you know, develop at the business, you want any um, skills development to be integrated into their business as usual um, work. That's like the way that they'll actually really get an opportunity to um, master that skill. And like, if you're going to tie in, um, you know, professional development, like learning a new uh, language or something like that into goals, you need to give them the opportunity to actually meet that goal. Um, like I can sort of give a real life example at Banff and this was, a couple of years ago now, but um, when I was first uh, promoted to head of engineering, there was no unit testing on our front end applications. So we had to introduce the test framework, um, change the culture of the team to start testing front end, but also help people learn the skills they needed to write unit tests in that language. And so part of this was, you know, presenting it in Guild and, you know, teaching it, but also setting one of their quarterly goals to be right, X number of unit tests in React testing library, um, but then also making sure that the work they're given includes front-end work so they have an opportunity to meet that goal. So I think it's, um, you know, giving them the information and tools and support they need and then making sure that the opportunity is there as well to keep developing further. And I think if they want to learn something that's maybe not directly related to, you know, advanced businesses or stuff, you know, encourage them if they want to introduce a new tool, encourage them to think about how does this add value to the business from a non-technical business perspective. Because that's also a skill to learn as well is to how to put forward ideas and convince people to jump on board. So um, I think you can you don't have to just rely on yourself. You can rely on your team to support that further development. Yeah, for sure. And uh, last but not least, uh, Chris, I, I've given you as much uh, thinking time as possible this time. <laughs> you can't get more now. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of think that's my biggest fear ever since I've been in the industry, right? It's all that fear of being stagnant and working in the agencies and kind of consultancies, you get a lot of variety. So funny enough, you skill up pretty quick and then you go to a kind of client and they're still using something like maybe Angular 1, 
then you're going, okay, well, here's the other ones. We don't ever use Angular. <laughs> um, Angular is a good product, by the way. Don't get me wrong. Uh, what I think is there's a couple of things in my head. One of them is um, what's their career? Like where do they want to go from a career standpoint? Because I think if you can really hone in on what's their career objective and kind of at least have that, because that means you're actually caring about their career, not just about, okay, what are you doing for us as a business? Is kind of a key thing for me. Um, also, I found that the situations to kind of get them motivated as well is actually invest some time for them. As in, you know, if they want to be a leadership, get into leadership, um, and then there's a bit technology, but actually go, okay, cool. Let's do a workshop with HR or someone else and we can do it together. So it feels like you're investing in them. Um, other things we've done is actually have Slack channels or channels to kind of share new technologies and kind of get the team immersed and build the atmosphere around um, the interest of that technology. Being in a bit of a startup where we're still pretty small, we haven't got as much debt, we also just align some of those technologies to initiatives where we see this value, right? So I think it's kind of an opportunity. Like great example is we're still in product market fit. We've got this web app, which is React, which we've used since day one. It's been beaten many times, A-B tested. Like it's, it's still good. It does a job. But as we transition into from our testing to probably a new, complete new experience, there's an opportunity to go, okay, cool. Let's reevaluate. So I don't know that's probably not as easy with Sonda because it's probably more of a, a, a common thing. But um, I think, and for the final thing for me is more that most of the time, the things I've learned to kind of skill up hasn't been what I've done day to day. It's probably been things that I've done outside of work. So I think that's hard to say, but I guess it's more about how do you inspire and share the passion where it might actually kind of get that drive. And I think it's more of momentum. If you can get the team kind of driven around that, um, about new technology. And then finally, just is there any kind of innovation day you could do or something you can do every second week or every month where we did this at DV, well, I didn't, but one of the other leads there, he actually did one where he actually had the business come through and they showcased AI, they showcased all this different technology, kind of made it a bit of a buzz, and they did that once a year. Um, so, yeah, that's, I was able to do some more thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can do with a bit of time, right? <laughs> yeah, and coffee. And coffee. Yeah, well, that's it. Things we have done in Sonder uh, to to overcome this issue over the, over the course of time. So uh, basically, uh, pre-pandemic, we used to have this uh, Sonder V8 we call, which is which is Sonder version of Hackathon. Then mm. we, we revived that after the uh, yeah after the pandemic. Yeah, since last year we have revived that one. But what we actually uh, achieved last year, especially so. So right now we have a structure which is called chapter and squad. So every uh, uh, every engineering has a, has a different chapter, like mobile engineering chapter, back end engineering chapter, and then we have this squad structure, who, which is very much uh, uh, dedicated towards any particular initiatives. So now uh, it, uh, uh, initially it became really hard because now the business has more uh, more uh, uh, focused initiatives, so less time for. Uh, to do any technical tasks and things. So uh, the way we came up with is, uh, so we, we created a board, we created a, a bucket like where, uh, and we have, a, a, apart from one one, we also have like weekly check-in meetings with the chapters and we consolidate all our ideas in one place. And then 
we do do share those ideas with business uh, uh, business constant uh, uh, continuously to make them part of the roadmap. So ever since we started making them part of the roadmap, uh, uh, then it is recognized that the business business roadmap as well, and that I think kind of uh, kind of helped us uh, with uh, many aspects. But uh, then again, like there are, there are uh, many topics in that guild or in that uh, in that bucket. Might not be fully aligned with business, so that's that's the part like where we sometimes need to make a bit of adjustment on or uh, uh, make a bit of sacrifice on. But as much as we as uh, as much as possible, we try to bring bring uh, forward uh, those uh, those items uh, because pretty much those are uh, those are the ones which also helps the business in long term. That has been recently uh, uh, we have adapted to. Uh, it's just uh, we have adapted that to, to that models uh, since uh, mid last year. Uh, so far, uh, working pretty good. But it's yeah, hard. It's, it's hard because the business itself you have to try and justify innovation in a way. But if you don't go outside and bring back in, who is? And then while the business is still building that one product, startups like us come in with all this new tech and kind of start moving forward. So I think, I don't know, it sounds like it's also a business justification, like you need to bring air into the business of new ideas or you do become like, you're just trying to keep up. Um, yeah. yeah. We do empower people like that with these new ideas, uh, or uh, or giving them the opportunity to think about new ideas. Not necessarily all of them are making its way to the business, but from business perspective, instead of one or two people or few tech leads, there there is a full battalion who, who uh, who's looking for to make make the product better, to make the business better. So they also are getting more more uh, more pair of eyes uh, uh, on that side. But yeah, everything. Uh, uh, nothing is black and white. Everything comes up with uh, uh, with uh, <laughs> upside and down, downside. So, just a part of the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. And even for a small startup, we have to justify innovations as well, right? And you know, it's a small team, a runway, um, and it, it's still a justification. No, it's not easy. Lots of really good insight um, that we've discussed today. Uh, I just want to wrap everything up and say thank you to you all for jumping on today and sharing your experience and your insights. Um, it's for me been a really good learning curve and very insightful. Uh, there's definitely some things that I've taken away from it. Hopefully you guys are all feeling the same and our listeners uh, will be feeling the same um, when they get to hear this. Um, did anyone have anything else they wanted to add on uh, before we wrap up today? No, no nothing from me. I just yeah. want to say thank you. It was really insightful. Uh, I used to work in a startup, you know, three or four years ago. But since I joined uh, these large enterprises, I somehow forgot about how how it feels when you are working in a startup with some limited resources and stuff like that. And that was really insightful to me. It will reiterate back back in the day when I was working in a startup. It may sound fun, but you wear a lot of hats, right? So these yeah. guys are not, you know, partying and not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for I think, sure. Uh, indeed, like, 
even been from different startups, I think we've really approached the same question from four really different perspectives. It's been really interesting hearing the other views and learning something from them. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, thanks a lot, Cooper, too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Cooper, to um, uh, uh, invite us uh, for this podcast. And uh, yeah, it was really, really insightful. And I also got, got to learn a lot of things. Basically, what everyone else has said, I was like, good to be last. Um, <laughs> so thank you all. That was good, really insightful. Um, and thank you. It good to take some of those thoughts that you put forward um, with the team. Um, yeah, I think the, the buddy one was really interesting, like being able to buddy the person with the product um, and to kind of get them on that journey, kind of even engineering, seeing that feedback. So, yeah, very helpful. Absolutely. Um, so, look, once again, I just want to say thank you to our guests, Sophie from Vamp, Arash from Felix Mobile, Chris at Flip, and Sheik from Sonda. Um, thank you all to our guests for listening, and I uh, can't wait to see you all next time on the Evolution Exchange. <laughs>